I hope you're enjoying taking communion each week for us together. I think it's a rich, rich time. And uh, I thought that song that Alan led us in was just so perfect as we meditated on him and kind of just reinforced our, our love for him. How many, uh, how many like to sit on the aisles? That's your favorite seat. Okay, well, I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you now the uh, communion cup monitor. <laughs> so pass the communion cups to the person sitting on the aisle. You get to hold them till the end of the service. <laughs> it's part of your privilege of sitting on the aisle. Okay, and then the ushers will come and collect those cups uh, at the conclusion of our service. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 once again. We've looked at this passage a number of times, and I want to rehearse it again with you. It is such a rich passage. It talks about, basically, um, spiritual growth and Christian maturity. And this is, this is our point this month. We're talking about growing, maturing as Christians. This is the point of being a Christian. Christian is not just another religious person. It's not somebody who's just a good person. A person who's nice and keeps the rules. A Christian is somebody who God has redeemed and saved and is changing and making like Jesus. You and I are Christians. The goal of our life is to be like Jesus. That's the whole point of our maturity. I'm not just going to grow up to be a better me. I'm going to grow up and mature in Christ to be more like Him. And as, as that happens... I'm more able then to enjoy God, and he's more able to enjoy me, if you will. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks to the, the church there in Ephesus about this theme of growth in unity. And he wants to encourage them to grow up together. And this should be the, the emphasis for every, every church body. Would you agree that we should all be encouraging one another to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus to grow up and be more like Jesus, that we be a body of people who, who the world can look at and say, wow, those people are different. And so he says to us, beginning in the, uh, the last part of verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is, this is God's point, is to build up the body of Christ, to bring us to a point of maturity. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. I mean, there's nothing better than being around a mature Christian. Would you agree? I mean, someone who understands, someone who is growing, someone who is maturing, there's something about their life, something about their person that brings strength to us. And they're very, very attractive people. And so he says that they become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, again, speaking about the direction and the purpose for our life, that we become more and more like Jesus. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Uh, you, you just... You're going to be stable in your life. You're not going to be back and forth and subject to all the whims and the, and the trends and the things that, that people are coming up with. You'll know the truth. You'll know the truth. And the truth sets you free from all that stuff. You go, well, should I go there? Should I go there? Should I do this? No, you'll know the truth. 
You'll be stable in your life. How many want to have stable lives? I mean, really stable lives. It's growing up in Christ. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, another key phrase, as each part does its work. All of us have a part to play. Even the most inconsequential in your own mind, some people say, well, you know, I don't really have much to offer. I'm not really much. No, no, you're part of the body. You have a part to play. And if you're not playing your part, if you're not connecting with the rest of the body, then we all suffer. You suffer, we suffer. Am I making sense? So in that passage, he basically talks to us about spiritual growth, talks to us about Christian maturity, about Christ-likeness. And again, that's the whole orientation of my life. I'm a Christian. Originally, I became a Christian because I didn't want to hurt anymore. I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to be on God's good side. I didn't want to go to hell. Now, those are all good reasons. But as I grew and became more and more knowledgeable in the Scriptures, I began to understand I'm a Christian, not just because those reasons I'm Christian, because God wants to make me more like Jesus. And that should become my primary, primary aspiration to be like Jesus. That's God's purpose for us. His purpose, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, is to conform us to the likeness of His Son. He has predestined us for that, uh, that goal. And if that's the truth, we are accountable to grow. We're accountable. We can't just do nothing. It's like you're in school and you're given a tremendous exposure to a tremendous education and you just squander it. You don't, you don't pay any attention to it. Are you accountable for that? Absolutely. We talked about the parable of the talents and, and how the, the master gave a certain number of talents to his servants and, and how the third uh, servant was a, a, a wicked and a faithless servant. We are accountable for what God entrusts to us. We're accountable for what he calls us to. Hence, we are accountable to become like Jesus. If you are not participating in the body of Christ and growing and becoming more like Jesus, if you've just carved out your own little life and your own little hobbies and your own little thing, and all you do is come to church, you are disobedient Christian. You are disobedient. You're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to have to give an account for what you did. Am I making sense? Are you scared? Yeah, you're not scared of nothing. <laughs> so the question you have to ask yourself is, is simply this. Am I growing and maturing as a Christian? Am I becoming more Christ-like? The Christian life can be kind of like this. It can be, it can be like a, an explorer who is heading toward the North Pole. And he checks his position hourly to ensure the fact that he stays on course towards the North Pole. Are you with me so far? However, at one point, our explorer experiences a strange phenomenon. He discovers that as he checks his position, his instruments indicate that although he has been moving northward, he's actually farther south than he was when the last time he checked his instruments. What's happening to him? 
Regardless of the speed at which he walked in the direction of the pole, he continued to get further from it. What happened? Why Why is, why is he experiencing that? Anybody want to help me here? Yeah, he's, he's ventured on to an ice floe without realizing it. And the ice floe is drifting south as he's walking north. As, as, as hard as as fast as he goes north, he's drifting further and further south. You see, there's a world of difference between activity and progress. There's a world of difference. This is as true on our journey to the celestial city of heaven as it is on a North Pole expedition. The Christian life is meant to be a life of growth and progress. Turn to your neighbor, tell them. The Christian life is meant to be a life of growth and progress. In fact, we are even commanded to grow. Let me rehearse to you again uh, the verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We are commanded to grow. The, the, the text is in the mood of command. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not a suggestion. God commands us to do so. The question is, how can we know that we're growing in grace? How can we know that we're growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How can we know that we are making real progress and not merely deceiving ourselves with just simple activity? You know, there's a scary passage in the Gospel of Matthew at the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says that when he comes back, when he's going to consummate everything, People will be justifying themselves. They'll say, Lord, Lord, Lord. And they'll, they'll enumerate their list of activities, the things that they did. And they all are good things. They all sound so good. But the focus is just on what they did. And his response to them, as they commend themselves to him, his response to them is simply to say, never did I know you. Emphasis on never. We never had a relationship. All of your activity resulted in no real growth and maturity. You you weren't growing. You were just doing stuff. And the bottom line, it amounted to nothing. Wood, hay, and stubble. It's all burned up. You see, it's often hard to recognize spiritual advance. And it's hard to recognize it over short periods of time. You know, from one one week to the next. You say, am I growing, am I growing, am I growing? Trying to determine the progress of the soul is like looking at the growth of an oak tree, someone said. You can't actually see the oak tree growing at the moment, can you? You just stand there and go, is it growing? Can you see if it's growing or not? But if you you measure it and, and use some measuring standard and you come back after a year, you say, oh, it's grown. It's like some of you don't come to church for a while and you bring your kids and I see your kids are growing. Whoa, look at you. You must be feeding those kids. Yeah, that's what happens when you feed them. They do grow, you know. I want to give you ten questions. Ten 
basic parameters whereby you can look at your life, use them as measuring rods, if you will, to say, I'm growing, I'm not growing. And these are not anything new. You've heard these things before. But I've just contextualized them in a way that will serve our purpose this morning. Are you ready? How many want to grow? All right, here we go. Hold on. Strap in. Number one. Are you more thirsty for God than ever before? Are you more thirsty for God than ever before? The psalmist says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. What a marvelous poetic expression. But it, it reveals, in, the, in this poetic language, it reveals the condition of a person's heart, the psalmist. I hunger for you. I pant for you. I don't know if, if you can relate to that or not. But that's something we need to consider. You have to ask yourself, is my life more and more thirsting for God like that? Or is God just kind of, you know, I'm not, it's no big deal. Is God your passion? Or is something else your passion? Or rather, someone else your passion? If you are thirsting for him more and more, that's a sign of spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. Do you want to know Jesus Christ more and more intimately? In spite of all of his spiritual maturity, in spite of all that Paul had seen and experienced, he declares late in his life, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ. What's he talking about? Didn't he already know Jesus better than most of us ever will? Of course he did. But the more he knew Jesus... I submit to you, the more he wanted to know him. When there's somebody in your life that you really, really love and you're enamored with and you, you just, you can't get enough of. And we say that sometimes. I can't get enough of you, darling. Right? And you know them. And the, and, and the more you know them, the more you want to know them. Every husband should want to know his wife, right? Right, wives? This mystery called a woman. And you, you gals really are mysteries to us. We're just, well, that's another, that's another message. <laughs> the more the Apostle Paul progressed in his spiritual life, the more he grew and matured, the more thirsty for God he became. That is a huge sign for us in our life. Am I growing? You can fool yourself and you say, oh, I'm really growing, I'm maturing. But if there's no growing thirst and hunger for God in your life, you have some reason to question whether or not you're growing. Are you more and more loving? Are you more and more loving? The mark of, a, of the Christian is, the, the, the mark preeminent of a Christian is what? It's love. Thank you very much. Jesus said, a new command I give you, that you what? love one another. Love sums it all up for the Christian. And love, especially for other Christians. Especially for other Christians. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 7, John says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, you cannot love, it's impossible for you and I to love, as God intends for us to love, unless we are born again. Because when you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. The New Testament says, God pours His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And you must of then, then of necessity love one another. If you are growing in love, then you must also be growing in grace. You find yourself being more gracious because you love. I have a friend who, early in his Christian experience, would quickly and openly express his disgust with anyone who would disagree with him, especially disagree with him theologically. He had some really hard and fast categories. He had no patience, no grace for anybody who would disagree with him. But then he began to grow and mature, and he realized, because a number of people had intimate conversations with him about his responses, and he took it to heart, and he began to grow. And as, as he did, he became came to be a much more gracious person, and he was far less combative, far less argumentative uh, and angry with those, uh, even those who had views to the left of his, if you understand what I mean, uh, especially if they claim to be Christians. So you just have to ask yourself, are there instances of Christ-like love in my life? Am I loving people more and more and more? Not just tolerating them. You know there's a difference? Sometimes we fake ourselves out. We think we love somebody and we're just tolerating them. Do you really love them? And that means, are you willing to put aside your desires, wants, life, in favor of them? Are you willing to deny yourself because you love them? If you are, those are milestones Those are milestones on this journey in grace. However, if you're stalled in selfishness, then you are going to be stuck spiritually. You will not be growing. This is an issue that every single one of us struggle with. You have to be very intentional about growing in grace and growing in love. Because we are all, by nature, what? Selfish. Selfish. Are you more and more sensitive to and aware of God than ever before? You see, the grace of God causes us, who were once dead to God, that grace of God causes us now to be alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, that truth. He rehearses it over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Once, as a non-believer, I'm just dead to God. I'm dead to Him. I may say I believe in a God, but I'm dead to Him. We have no relationship. But because God chooses to love me, and He gives His grace to me, He turns my heart so that now I am born again, and now I am alive to Him, no longer dead to Him. Am I making sense? So this is what God does. Now the question for me is, am I aware of this? Am I becoming more and more aware? The, 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 the tremendous, glorious 
truth of all of this and, 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 and the experience of all this is the invasion of the Holy Spirit into my soul. The Bible tells me that God's Spirit comes to live in me. He invades my life. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Holy Spirit. And His presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, gives me a sense of being alive to God in my daily life. He's kind of like a spiritual artesian well. You remember the, uh, the, the account of Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 4, of the, the Samaritan woman by the well, and he says, if you knew who it was, and you would ask me, and I'd give you living water. That's what he's talking about, living water. Your life begins to just whoo, bubble over. Holy Spirit will frequently, frequently bring thoughts of God and bring thoughts of the things of God to your mind. Where probably never before as a non-believer, did you really ever think of God? When I was a non-Christian, I didn't think about God, except when I was bad and I thought, oh man, God's going to get me for that one. Of course, I grew up religious, so I had a background. But it was a legalistic, rigid background. And my view of God was not a gracious God. He was standing there waiting for me. He's going to just whip my butt. Excuse the language, but you understand what I'm talking about. But now the Holy Spirit living in me brings thoughts of God and and, and the things of God that just I have to marvel at. You see, growing Christians, growing Christians find spiritual pleasure in seizing on and dwelling on those thoughts that God gives you. Wow. I just love to think about God. I love to think about the things of God. I love to ponder the things that God shows me. It just is so thrilling. You begin to see, you begin to see God everywhere. And it's just, it's just a whole new, whole new life opens up to you. You see God in the sunsets. I mean, I know that's kind of a, a trite expression, but that's the truth. You see a sunset, and in the past several nights, if you come to church Friday night or Saturday night, you see that if you get here early, <laughs> stand at the top of the stairs with me, you see these sunsets these past week has just been incredible. I mean, the colors, the sky just emblazoned. And all you can go is, look at that. You, 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 you experience God just with a... The sound of a bird. I was sitting in my front porch yesterday afternoon. It was such a beautiful afternoon. I was taking a little nap on my front porch. And, 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 the, and the, we, there were some little finches in, the, in our tree in front of our house. And they were... And I just so enjoyed that. And I was just marveling at God's creation. And then the crows came. <laughs> Chased all the little birds away. <laughs> I wanted to get my BB gun out. <laughs> That's some crow pie. <laughs> but even you have to marvel at that part of God's creation, right? You find yourself marveling, really, at the kindness of a friend. You just go, well, thank you, God. 
And it's not just the, the friend and they've done some kind. It's just you begin to see how God has worked and moved and, and, and just caused that friend just to bring some kindness into your life. You marvel at the, even the death of a loved one. And you see God in that too. In His grace, in His mercy, His comfort. You even see God in the timing of a traffic signal. You know what I'm talking about? Run it, don't run it. Can I make it? More and more, God, just slow down. Let me take care of you. As you listen this morning, you also are bombarded by all sorts of Radio signals, television signals, cell phone signals. I mean, all sorts of stuff flying through the air. But you've been entirely unaware of them, haven't you? The reason is that you're not built to receive those signals. Once you're alive to God, however, the Holy Spirit makes you alive and aware to receive God's signals. People so often say, I wish God would just talk to me. When I can't hear God's voice. Get quiet and listen. Part of your growth is that you will find yourself becoming more and more and more aware of God and the Holy Spirit just speaking to you. Now, he's not going to tell you to do crazy stuff. Well, maybe he will do crazy stuff. Step out of your comfort zone, that's for sure. And it's not that you're going to always be sensitive to, always be aware but if you find yourself more and more noticing and often choosing to enjoy the Holy Spirit's promptings, chances are you're growing spiritually. Are you governed more and more by God's Word? Before we are made alive to God, we were controlled mostly by the flesh, by the world, and by the kingdom of darkness. Total slaves, captured by those realms. Absolutely powerless to do anything about it. God saved us from that. After we become alive to Him, we find that we have a new desire, a new compulsion that He puts into us. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. A compulsion to be governed no longer by the world, no longer by our flesh, there's, there's actually a battle. We, we, there's a real battle that goes on. Before I was a Christian, there was no battle that went on. I love sin. I love the world. I was totally immersed. After I became a Christian, man, there was a warfare going on inside of me. And I didn't understand it until I began to read the Bible. I said, oh, that's what's going on. That's what it's all about. You see, the true Christian has this new compulsion to be and to do what God wants. This is what I'm talking to you about. I am passionate for you, each one of you, to grow up into Christ-likeness. I'm passionate. I want you to be more like Jesus because God wants you to be. I have a responsibility as your pastor to move you and to challenge you and to cajole you and to urge you and to beg you and to plead with you. Grow up and be like Jesus. In every vehicle, every avenue that I can think of, 
that will facilitate that process. Well, you know me. I'm not beyond even manipulating you. (laughs) How do I know what His will is? Where am I going to find His will spelled out for me? In the Bible. You know, there's a classic passage in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And this passage describes, among other things, the total sufficiency of the Scriptures, the total sufficiency of the Word of God. I don't need anything else but the Word of God. If I'm meditating on, studying, learning, applying what I'm reading in this book, I do not need any other resource for growth and maturity. Listen to what what Paul says to this young pastor, Timothy. He tells him, all Scripture is God-breathed. These are God's words. These are God's truths. God has spoken them. They're breathed by God, if you will, inspired. All Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God, if you will, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice the words he used. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, does the Bible teach... You search the Scriptures, and I'm telling you, this God's going to talk to you through His Word. He's going to enlighten you by His Spirit living in you. You're going to go, I have aha moments. And notice, please, those words, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. Do those words, have, are they growth-related words? Absolutely. You want to grow? Is the Bible becoming more and more and more important to you? When you are growing as a child of God, you can regularly point to how the Word of God impacts your life. You can, you can point to how it's teaching you, how it's speaking to you, how it has reproved you for your sin, how it has shown you how to correct the mistakes in your life. You can point to how the Bible has been training you to live in new ways that God says are His ways. Remember, he says, my ways are higher than your ways. He wants us to aspire to live on a higher plane, supernaturally, his ways. People, he wants the lost to marvel at what he does in us. But if we just choose to live down this lower plane and grovel with everybody else, it doesn't make any sense being a Christian to the outsider, does it? No. Many of you over the years have have shared with me testimonies about how you are, in fact, moving forward in the things of God. Testimonies about how you're having new insights into the truth of the Scriptures and how God has used the Bible to give you uh, direction for your life in, 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 in ministry, career, and so forth. Some have shared with how the Lord has dealt with you about uh, your, your materialism, how the Lord has uh, dealt with you about your prayerlessness, convicted you, how he's corrected you. Many of you have been able to point to specific ways where the Word of God has done just marvelous things in your life. And you can't deny it. You're just going, God spoke to me through his Word. God just talked. If that describes you, you're growing. You're growing. 
Are you concerned more and more with the physical and spiritual needs of others? In Luke chapter 9, verse 11, one of many accounts, but this is just illustrative, we read of Jesus encountering a crowd of people, and we're told that he does two things. This was typical of what Jesus would do. The first thing, he would teach them about the kingdom of heaven, or he would teach them spiritual truth. And then he would heal them or feed them. In other words, he attended first to their spiritual needs and then to their material needs. He was primarily concerned with those spiritual needs, but he cared deeply for their physical needs as well. The more you and I become like Jesus, the more concerned we will be also with the spiritual and physical needs of others. Because that's what Jesus was like. In my experience as a pastor over the years, I've noticed one sad thing. I've observed that the longer a person is a Christian, the less evangelistic he or she tends to be. That is obviously not a mark of Christlikeness. If Jesus was someone who went about every place he did doing good, spiritually and physically, then should you and I also be the same way? I think so. You and I have to continually fight continually fight this tendency toward evangelism erosion. Because, quite frankly, we just settle down. We said, I've arrived. I'm happy. My life seems to be okay. Don't disturb me. Don't tell me to go take Pastor Steve's class. Take Pastor Steve's class. Take a handful of tracks. Learn how to talk to other people about Jesus. Is that so hard? Yes! Should we be sharing our faith? Should we be concerned about other people's spiritual well-being? If you find yourself complaining about this, if you find yourself talking to other people's ears, man, you know, they're making me do this, shut up. I mean it. You are sinning against the body of Christ. And you're sinning against the purposes of God. And if any of you hear that stuff, you ought to tell them, shut up. We're wrong doing this. Am I making sense here? Was Jesus serious about the lost? Absolutely. You cannot separate the two. Well, I just do good stuff. You cannot separate that physical stuff from the spiritual dynamics. Why do we do this? Because I want to tell you about Jesus. I do this because Jesus calls me to. Because he's given me a compassion for you, a love for you. Do you find yourself demonstrating a genuine spiritual concern for others as well as the physical concerns? A sure sign of spiritual Christian growth is you begin to see needs that you never saw before and you begin to meet those needs. Wow. I never saw things like I saw, like I'm seeing them now. God's opened my eyes to things and I'm taking steps of faith just to go out there and try to address those needs. Are you more and more concerned with the church and the kingdom of God? 
Do you find yourself really being more concerned with the church and, and what God's doing? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul writes this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We see that husbands are to grow in their love for their wives, and they're to use as their example Jesus Christ. He loved the church. He loved his people so much that he gave his life for them, for you and I. The people of God. Do you love the people of God? You see, the more you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, you will find yourself loving his church. That means the people. I've heard this before. Pastor, I love the church. It's just the people I can't stand. The church is the people. Oh, just such. I'd love to go to church, but I just. Don't make me talk to people. Don't make me. You're not growing spiritually if you're not making yourself and engaging this impetus to interact and connect with God's people. Christians who isolate themselves. Isolate themselves from community, isolate themselves from fellowship, are not growing stronger by their isolation. They're like a body part that's separated from the body. I've had three knee surgeries over the years, old football injuries. And after each surgery, they have to immobilize the leg. And when they immobilize the leg, I can't move it. So in a sense, my left leg participates very little with the rest of my body. The muscles atrophy. And it takes such a long time to rehab and build those muscles back up to healthy condition. And my left leg today is, is still not as strong, nor the thigh muscles as, as big as the muscles in the right leg. It's just, it's just hard to do. I use that illustration because in the same way, the more we separate ourselves from participating in the life of the local church, being in community with each other, the more we separate ourselves from working for his kingdom, the less we will grow. We simply need each other. Proverbs talks about iron sharpening iron. I'm not very sharp spiritually. Well, then get sharpened. Get in community. Here's number seven. Are the disciplines of the Christian life more and more important to you? Are they more and more important to you? Growth in godliness is ultimately a gift from God. But that doesn't mean there's nothing that we don't do. We have a part to play. Regarding our spiritual growth, God has said this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, train yourself, discipline yourself. Discipline yourself to be godly, or rather for the purpose of godliness. You have to ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I disciplining myself? Am I embracing spiritual disciplines? As I do, as I engage spiritual disciplines, the Holy Spirit molds my character to be more and more like Jesus. The most common reason for the lack of spiritual growth among Christians today is simply inconsistency 
in spiritual disciplines. We don't grow in grace if we fail to use the God-given means for growing in grace. It's a simple fact. Those who grow the most, those who grow the fastest, are those who place themselves in those channels of grace, if you will, if I can use that expression. The Word, prayer, community, fellowship, worship, service, giving. We could go on and on. There's a whole litany, if you will, of spiritual disciplines. Those are the most common ones that we're given. Are you more and more aware of your sin? Are you more and more aware of your sin? In one of the last things that the Apostle Paul wrote late in his life, when he was about as mature as a Christian could get, he described himself as the worst sinner in the world. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, I am the worst. Not I was the worst. I am the worst. Well, how could he say that? How could he say that? He was probably more like Jesus than anybody will ever know. It's because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you become aware of your sin and how really unlike him you are. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be, I'm pretty good, man. I'm looking pretty good, aren't I? Ooh, I'm looking like Jesus. You stand right next to him. Ooh. It's kind of like, the proverbial sheep, you get a flock of sheep. You put them out there in the pasture against the green grass and the brown dirt and all that stuff. They look pretty white, don't they? <laughs> then you take that same flock of sheep and the snow falls and you look at them now against the backdrop of that white, beautiful snow. They don't nearly look as white as you thought. It's kind of like that. One of the first spiritual struggles, I think, of a new Christian occurs as that Christian becomes aware of sin that was never bothersome before. <laughs> as I described to you earlier, I, I, I love sin. There's pleasure in sin for a season. It didn't bother me. I became a Christian, all of a sudden, stuff began to bother me. It wasn't uncommon for me to feel more guilty at times than ever before becoming a Christian. And that's because I was alive to the Holy Spirit. Alive to the Holy Spirit for the first time in my life. And thus, more aware of my sin. More than ever before, I go, ugh, yuck. You see, the more you grow as a Christian, the less you will sin. But note this. But it will often seem as though you sin more because of your sensitivity for sin, it will be so much greater. Now you're aware of the internal stuff. Now you become more aware because the Holy Spirit makes you more aware of your attitudes, of those desires that are unspoken. You become aware of your pride. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that. I battle that every single moment of every single day. 
every single moment. Pride. It comes from every quarter. <sighs> Have you ever gotten defensive? Anybody ever said anything to you? Just pride. Pride. The more you grow as a Christian, the less you will sin. But you'll become keenly aware of those internal things. Because we're real good about the external stuff, aren't we? We look really good. Number nine, are you more and more willing to forgive others? To forgive others. Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness, doesn't he? Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 4, he says uh, that we are to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I have not a leg to stand on. If God forgave me for all my stuff, I should be able to forgive you for the little stuff you've done to me. Simple. I must. How many times should I forgive somebody? Three times? Do you know the Mosaic Law only required you to forgive somebody three times if you were a Jew? You're only required to forgive three times. Do you remember when Jesus and and, and Peter had that conversation about forgiveness? I think it's Matthew 18. How many times should I forgive? Seven times? Why didn't he just say three? Well, you know, Peter. Peter's always overdoing it. So he thought he'd be really magnanimous. Instead of the three that everybody knew about, he says, no, I I forgive seven times. And Jesus responded to him and said, Peter, no. How many times? No limit. No limit. You mean I have to forgive him again? No, you get to forgive him again. Because every time you forgive him, you give away more of your pride and selfishness. That's why they're in your life. For your sake. The more we become like Jesus, who forgave even those who nailed him to the cross. He's hanging there. He's dying. He's gagging in his own juices. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The more we become like him, the more willing we will be to forgive. A young woman, a number of years ago, wrote me a letter. She came to our church. She had grown up in the church. In fact, her father was an elder in the church she grew up in, I found out. She wrote me a letter, and uh, in her letter, she uh, shared with me just tragedy after tragedy in her life. Her, her, her marriage was falling apart. Her life was falling apart. She was just a young thing. And this long, several-page letter just, just pouring out her heart. She had come to our church once or twice and, and, and just wrote me this letter. Signed it. I had no idea who she was. I'd never met her. I had no, there was no phone number, no return address, no way to contact her. I desperately wanted to reach out to her. And so I just, I just prayed for her. I said, Lord, uh, help us, help this gal. Two weeks later, I'm at the bank. (laughs) This is incredible. I'm at the bank. I'm standing in line. Next teller, I walk up to the teller thing, you know. And this young girl is is the teller, and I noticed her name tag. Same name that was on that letter. 
She looked at me and she just diverted her view, her gaze. I said, "Excuse me. Do, do you know? Do you know me? Yes. Did you write me a letter a couple weeks ago? Yes." I said, let's sit down and talk. The following week, we, we met to talk. And she began to tell me all this stuff. The root of all of her personal, personal angst, she said, was that her father, an elder in their church, had been sexually abusing her for years. She was so enraged, so angry, so powerless that all that stuff was destroying her life. And as I listened to her, she got it all out as much as she could. And I said to her, you know what you have to do, don't you? She said, what? You must forgive him. <sighs> no. 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 No, I could never forgive him. I said, what happened to you is tragic beyond words. What happened to you should never have happened. I'm saddened, I'm sorry, but you must forgive. If you do not forgive, every tender shoot of growth in your life that's trying to sprout will be squashed by your unforgiveness. I'm not going to pretend to tell you anything why, what for. I'm just going to suggest to you this is God's suggestion. This is what you need to do. Her bitterness was unbelievable. You, you can understand. It was tragic. She left. I saw her once or twice after that. She moved out of state. Never heard from her again. She left alone, embittered, and suicidal. I pray to this day still for her. Are you bitter at someone that you were bitter at six months ago, a year ago, five years ago? Have you allowed a root of bitterness to grow up in you? If so, then regardless of all your Christian activities... You've simply deceived yourself about having made any real spiritual progress during this time where you're harboring unforgiveness. I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. If you have forgiven, you're making measurable advance in your Christian maturity. Lastly, are you thinking more and more of heaven and of being with Jesus. Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he said to them, he says he's torn by two things. 
He said, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. The more he became like Christ, the more he wanted to depart and be with Christ, that is to be in heaven, he said, which is the better part. In Colossians chapter 3, he tells us the first two verses, he says, Set your mind and heart, set your hearts and minds on things below. Does he? What's he saying? You know, there's this thing of, of, about Christians that say, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. My suggestion is if we would set our hearts and minds on things above, we would be so heavenly minded, we would be of some earthly good. Do you find your heart and mind longing for the things of God in heaven and to be with Jesus. Well, that's just for old people. (laughs) When I was in seminary, one of my professors told me, he said, you know what, one of the greatest things that will happen in your life, if you read the biographies of godly men and women in the history of the church, read their biographies, and you'll discover something about them. You'll discover that they had a longing for heaven. They often thought about heaven. That's a sign of spiritual growth and maturity. One of the first books I picked up was Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, get a copy. You can get it in modern English. It's just the greatest read. And you will be on the edge of your seat as you read through it. I read it to my son as he was growing up. And we would read it over and over and over. And and here's this young Christian on his way to the celestial city with everything in opposition to him, trying to hinder his progress. But he was persistent. What what an account. We have a a growth group studying the book of heaven on heaven. Steve Batty, Steve, stand up. Let everybody know what you look like. Steve's going to lead in our group on heaven. You see, one of the signs of becoming more like Jesus is you increasingly want to be with him. You want to be with Him. Beloved, growth in grace happens intentionally, not automatically. Like our explorer on that ice flow, you can drift away from spiritual progress. You cannot drift towards spiritual progress. It must be intentional. Without purpose... And without regular evaluation, that's why I've given you these 10 points of evaluation for your life. Without regular evaluation, uh, you'll find that despite your activity, you may have drifted away from Christ-likeness. Even if your growth is slow, keep growing. Keep coming. I tell people, just keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Don't stop. Don't be discouraged as long as you're growing. Direction is more important than speed. The question isn't how quickly are you growing. The question is, are you growing? Bottom line is, what would God have you do? What would God have you do to begin growing today? I have some suggestions. One is to be in a growth group. That's just a start. Amen? All right. Father, thank you. Thank you again for 
your provision. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you, Lord, for the direction you give us in our life. Thank you for your spirit who lives in us, who brings to our minds these things and causes us to nod and yes, say yes and agree and yes, Lord. Help us more and more. Stir us up. Help us to incite each other onto this growth. We love you today. We praise you for being our God, our Savior, our Father, our very present help in trouble, our strength and our hope. We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Okay, who are the cup monitors? All right, the ushers will come collect the cups. A couple things, as we always do. Turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor one thing that's a takeaway for you. You're leaving today. Says, boy, God spoke to me. This is my takeaway for today. Number two, pronounce a blessing on your neighbor. And number three, if it's appropriate, only if it's appropriate, give your neighbor a holy hug and very possibly a holy kiss. Let's stand together and sing God's praises one more time before we dismiss. <laughs>